Today is all about learning the practical magic of rewarding yourself. We are animals. Yes, we're human animals, and we're quite different from a lot of the animals out there in the animal kingdom. But still, we operate in a lot of similar ways as our animal friends. And this really comes into play when it comes to receiving rewards for good behavior. If you think about it, when you're trying to train your cocker spaniel to sit and to come and to heal, the best way to train her is to have some little bits of turkey jerky in a little pouch. And every time she behaves the way you want her to, you give her a tiny little nibble of turkey jerky. That little bitty reward affirms the behavior that you want her to be doing and makes her do it again and again and again, according to your command. We're a little more complex in terms of the rewards that we humans respond to, but the basic idea is the same. When we do a thing and we get a reward, we want to do that same thing again. And this doesn't just register in our minds, it also registers in the deeper wiring in our brains which is why we've got to build rewards into our process of taking action on our callings and dismantle the old defunct reward systems that undermine our positive movement toward what we want. And that, my friend, is exactly what we're doing today. This is the Lady Quest podcast, and I'm Ariel Kiley, and this podcast is for you intuitive, self-aware women who know that you have a big life purpose here on earth. Does that sound like you? Something that feels deeply meaningful to you that you want to do, create, experience, or pursue in this life. I have such a strong example of the power of reward to motivate you to do hard tasks from when I was 28 years old. So when I was 28, I was feeling kind of stuck in my life. I was working as an administrative assistant. I wanted to do something more compelling and true to me, but I didn't know how to make that bridge. And I had the thought, if I run a marathon, something inside me is going to change. I'm going to have a different perspective. I'm going to feel capable in a whole new way. I thought if I run a marathon... It's going to change my physiology, my mind, and my self-concept. So it was autumn in Los Angeles, where I was living at the time, and my birthday is in May. So I decided I would run the marathon in May in Vermont, my home state, which would also feel like a kind of great celebration of the end of my 20s, because I'd be turning 29 that month. I'd do this marathon in Vermont, and it would mark a transition for me into the next phase. So I found a marathon training plan on the internet that sounded reasonable, and I started training. Gradually, week by week, month by month, building my mileage up. But if you've trained for a marathon before, you know that for your first one, you don't actually train the full 26.2 miles. You train up to 20 or maybe 22 miles. And then on race day, 
you do that extra four or six miles. So I think I had trained up to 20 miles and I flew across the country with my boyfriend at the time and a little backstory so you understand how special this day was. I came from a broken home, which sounds kind of harsh, but my parents divorced when I was a kid and they went on to lead pretty separate lives and didn't communicate that much. They would mostly just pass us off back and forth. I think all kids have this deep yearning to have their parents together in the same place, supporting them. And I had really let go of that quite a long time ago because it just wasn't the vibe. They led very separate lives and were very rarely in the same place. And even when they did show up to occasions like graduations for us, there still was a feeling of them being separate and kind of going back and forth to them. So on my race day, what happened was my mom, my dad, my stepmom, Jan, my sister, Lita, my brother-in-law, Jason, and my boyfriend at the time all got together and strategized where they would be on different mile markers in the race so that every few miles there would always be another person there cheering me on. And of course they could, you know, someone could start at mile four and then get themselves to mile 12 and then get themselves to mile 20. So I would be seeing each of them repeatedly. So they all got together and strategized where they would be. I didn't even know what they were doing, what they were planning on. That day, I, as a social experiment, chose to wear a shirt that said, I love you. Because, you know, some people put their name on their shirts or something. So when they're running, the crowd would yell out, yay, Michelle, yay, Troy, go Devin, that kind of thing. I just had, I love you on my shirt because I was curious what that would do. Would people yell, I love you to me? And would that motivate me to keep running? So I set off running in my little green shorts and my I love you tank top, chugging, 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 really trying to pace myself so that I could go the full 26. And I, you know, turn a bend, maybe it's like mile four. And there is my mom cheering her face off, so happy to see me, just like this big grin, all this pride in seeing me. And I just get this flush of joy. And that flush of joy and seeing her cheer for me also gives me this new burst of energy to keep going. So I keep chugging and keep chugging. Then a couple miles later, there's my dad and Jan. Oh my gosh, they're so happy. Their eyes are glowing. They're smiling. They're cheering. It's just so pure the positive energy they're giving me. And I keep chugging and I keep chugging. And there's my boyfriend at the time. And, and he was a pretty grumpy dude. And so to see him just clapping and cheering and being ridiculously happy for me. Oh, it felt so good. Another burst of energy. Chug, chug, chug. Oh, and there's my sister and my brother-in-law. And they're high-fiving me. And they're jogging beside me for a minute. And they're just congratulating me and telling me to keep going. And I get another boost of energy. And then there's my mom again after a bit. And then there's my dad and Jan. And over and over again, every couple or few miles, there they were. They joined together in spirit purely happily cheering me on. And 
by the time I got to that final stretch, that final four miles, I was just so beat. But I remember my brother-in-law, Jason, jumped in and was jogging next to me. And he said, how do you feel? And I said, I just, I just want to lie down in the grass. But I couldn't lie down in the grass. So I kept going. And by the time I got to the finish line, all of them had gathered there and were waiting for me. And I did not like run this marathon fast. I was slow jogging that sucker. But seeing them all there together, purely celebrating and happy for me and organizing, being at all those different mile markers was the best possible reward for all my hard work. And seeing them each time motivated me to keep moving forward to reach the next reward, the next family member that would be cheering me on. And interestingly, the I love you t-shirt didn't do that nearly as much. Like it was kind of interesting. People would yell back, I love you too. And I knew they were talking to me and there's kind of something funny and quirky about it. And also the Burlington Free Press took a photo of me that they put in their article about the marathon. I think because like if you wear an interesting shirt like that or a wacky outfit, you're more likely to get your photo taken. Hot tip. Although it's so funny because my shirt says I love you, but my face in the photo looks like I'm just in agony. But um, that really wasn't as motivating as seeing my family there. In episode number seven, Making Space for What Matters, I talked about the habit loop per James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. And as I said then, the habit loop is cue, craving, response, reward. So these are the different things we cycle through when building a habit. That episode, I was focusing on the cue. And today I'm focusing on the other end, the reward. So page 49 in Atomic Habits, James Clear says, rewards teach us which actions are worth remembering in the future. Your brain is a reward detector. As you go about your life, your sensory nervous system is continuously monitoring which actions satisfy your desires and deliver pleasure. Feelings of pleasure and disappointment are part of the feedback mechanism that helps your brain distinguish useful actions from useless ones. Rewards close the feedback loop and complete the habit cycle. So when we get a reward that's meaningful to us, and that varies from person to person, we all just don't respond to a little bit of turkey jerky. It affirms the behavior we just did and wires us to want to do it again and again and again. Mel Robbins wrote a book called The High Five Habit. And this is about her practice of waking up in the morning and giving herself a high five in the bathroom mirror. From her website, it says, the high five habit is a simple yet profound tool that changes your attitude, your mindset, and your behavior. This is a whole philosophy she built around how giving herself the reward of the high five changes her entire attitude. And this is a piece that's so important in my coaching work. 
oftentimes my clients feel like it's a little silly at first, but it so clearly works. They get into it when they've done something they said they were going to do, or they really wanted to do, or tried something new or did something bold. Even though we're on zoom, I will high five them and they will high five me back or we'll high 10. We take that moment to break out of just the regular conversation about what's happening and bring the reward into our physiology. And even my most serious clients crack a smile and have this glimmer in their eye that looks like a little kid that's proud of themselves for their job well done when we high five or when we high 10 rewarding them with all the good vibes and teaching them to reward themselves is what helps keep them on track toward their goals. And part of this is also that I start every session asking my clients to recount their wins and their progress from the past week. We do not begin the session by dwelling on what they didn't do It's not a confessional. I'm not some critical teacher looking to thwack my students with a ruler. Even if they only did a couple tiny things in the direction that they want to go, we blow those up and we celebrate them. We dwell our attention on them. And that helps them do a couple more tiny things the next week and a couple more until gradually there's this snowball effect and they want to do those challenging things that will bring them the life or the outcome they really want. But as I said, my clients often resist this, which is very normal. And I had the funniest thing happen a few weeks ago. I was on a session with my client, James, and James is a brilliant, very deep man. He's a writer. He's a computer programmer. He's, he has that kind of super brain where if you were to just hand him a complex computer problem, he could sort it out. He also has the most incredible vocabulary, which I usually, when one of my clients use an amazing vocab word, I like to stop and celebrate that as well. So anyway, James is super cool. And he hired me a few months ago to help him move some things forward in his life that he wants to move forward that he was feeling stuck on, which is generally why people hire me. And of course, from the start, I would ask him each week to tell me what were his wins? What progress did he make over the past week? And he was always like resistant to it and would kind of want to go back to what he didn't do or where he felt stuck. And so it was it was a lot of work in the beginning for me to say, no, like steer it back to his progress and what he had done. And he told me a few weeks ago that in the beginning, he thought I was being such a bitch when I would interrupt him and redirect him toward telling me about his progress and the positive stuff he had done over the week. And I cracked up when he told me this, partly because it was just so honest and also because I totally get it. And I recognize that in myself from when I started working with my coach. And I think this is also like a different thing about therapy and coaching. Like if you've done a lot of therapy, you show up into therapy and you start talking about the stuff that sucked a lot. And coaching is different. We're directing our minds much more with coaching. And I remember my early coaching sessions with my first ever coach, whose name is Sophie Slater. 
we would get on the call and she would want me to recount the good things I had done for myself over the week. And I was genuinely confused. I just thought, aren't I here to work on my problems? How was focusing on what I did right going to help me solve my problems? And now you and I both know because it fires the reward systems. And it's also just like kind to yourself. And over time, with the repetition of spending the beginning of our sessions focusing on what I did well, that practice started shifting my self-perception and my inner self-talk around making changes. I started thinking more positively of myself. I wasn't defaulting to focusing on what I had done poorly. And focusing on your progress and celebrating your wins and inwardly rewarding yourself, it's not about avoiding the truth. It's necessary to fortify the behaviors that you want to repeat and continue. Celebrating yourself and your progress is so important. It's foundational to increasing your self-esteem and your self-confidence. Then being able to motivate yourself positively like a happy, healthy, mature adult, as opposed to negatively, like an overly punished child. And I get it that that can be a real shift, especially if you were motivated through your upbringing by avoiding punishment, as opposed to by receiving reward. But that's even more reason why you should break that dysfunctional habit loop, trying to flog yourself into action. So my invitation to you this week is to reflect on how you motivate yourself when it comes to the important stuff you want to do with your life. Do you speak positively? Do you celebrate your progress? Do you reward yourself for a job well done? Or are you punishing and hurtful and negative toward yourself? And if you track periods of time where you try to motivate yourself with negativity you very likely will see that you made some progress for a while and then you quit because it was better to not participate in that fucking thing, even if you supposedly love it, than to participate in it and constantly be treating yourself like shit. So as you move into the next week, I encourage you to think really purposefully about how you could motivate yourself with positive feeling rewards. And also what rewards are really meaningful to you. There's definitely, you know, buying yourself a treat or going to the plant store and getting to get a new plant. That's fun. But I find the most powerful rewards are the psychological ones, like seeing my family cheering for me in the marathon. So for you, just after having sat down and done a deep work session, working on a song on your guitar, when you stayed with it for that full 45 minutes, getting up from that and smiling at yourself and high-fiving yourself and saying, I'm so fucking awesome, and putting on one of your favorite songs and dancing to it, that's going to get the reward in your body that's going to make you want to sit down and work on your music again next time. Now, if you're lit up by this idea, or if you're confused and you want to know more, I have designed a whole workshop that you can participate in this December to 
practice engaging your reward system. The workshop is called Year in Review, Seeing and Celebrating Yourself. I liked the phrase year in review because it reminds me of like the New York Times fashion section where they're reviewing the year in fashion. We're going to review your year, not in fashion, unless that's a significant part of your life. In this workshop, which is on December 7th, so it's the last month of the year, I want to make sure you finish your year on a high note. I'm going to guide you to methodically review the past months of the year and highlight all the actions you took on behalf of your truth, your values, and the life you want, even if those actions were tiny. I want to help you interrupt that defeating cycle and transform how you appraise yourself and your choices. And you're going to take the time to somatically feel into your positive progress in your body to update how you think of yourself while generating an affirmative inner environment. Then I'm going to encourage you to take those tools you learn in your year in review and bring them into the new year and beyond. So you become a person who is motivated by your own positivity. The better it gets, the better it gets. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that idea just feel good in your body? It feels so good in mine. And coming back to the idea of like kid versus adult, it feels like being a mature grown up in the best way possible. So if you want to come to the year in review workshop, be sure you're on my mailing list. You can sign up through the episode description. And you'll automatically get an email with more information and how to sign up. It's just $30. So grab your spot. And I can't wait to see you on December 7th, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Zoom. There's going to be a lot of high-fiving and high-tenning. And you know what? If I had another hand, there would be high-fifteening. Okay. I hope to see you there. If you like this podcast, you will love the LadyQuest program. Join my newsletter through the link in the episode description if you want to learn more about LadyQuest, my one-on-one coaching work, and get invited to transformational workshops I teach on a regular basis online. Also, if you want to make my day, you could leave a five-star review for this podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of my world, and I look forward to being with you again very soon.